Today's message is entitled, Jesus is not a demagogue. Jesus is not a demagogue. It's going to be based on uh, the passage in Matthew 20, verses, verse 28, Matthew 20, verse 28. Jesus is not a demagogue. And let's start with at least analyzing what a demagogue is. And a demagogue is someone who uses um, political tactics or manipulates current issues to get people to do something for them or to support or follow them. So times like these that we're in, where the country and the church may be facing complex issues, this is a ripe time for a demagogue to jump in and use the pains and the issues, the political issues, the prejudices that we have to try and usurp authority or gain power to get control over a particular people group or a nation. It doesn't just have to be a culture or a people group. It could be a nation. It could be a world. A demagogue seeks uh, support by appealing to desires and prejudices, um, things that people believe strongly in, um, and things that really matter to them. They appeal to those heartstrings rather than using an objective, rational, reasonable argument. So instead of arguing their case from a completely objective and fair view, they'll use something you're experiencing that you really believe in or hurts you or causes, uh, raises a particular desire or prejudice, and they'll take advantage of that and try to use it to gain your support. In other words, a demagogue exploits people's desires and prejudices. Uh, they are someone who makes false claims to gain power. Uh, they are more like insiders of trouble. In other words, they take the trouble and they incite it. They make it bigger. So, ooh, ooh, something's wrong. All right, let me see if I can tap into this and use it to get more power. They are agitators of uh, things that are wrong. You've seen people who are fighting and then someone comes in and say, get him, get him, Johnny, get him. They are instigators who are looking to gain some sort of influence on you. Uh, they are more commonly known as provocateurs. Uh, they like to provoke others uh, into doing something so that they can gain some sort of control. So Jesus um, didn't come though to bend people to his will. So as the demagogue tries to get use people's circumstances to get them to bend to their uh, submission uh, and he, th they gain power over them, Jesus didn't come, listen carefully, to bend people to his will. What we're going to learn today is that Jesus bent to their will so that they could believe. So rather than Jesus being a demagogue and making people believe or exploiting people's guilt and sin issues and trouble uh, and said, well, follow me. He said, no, let me, let me give you what you need. I see that you're hurting. I see that you've got issues. Let me bend to your will. So he came from heaven to be like us to serve us so that we could, in effect, believe in him. So once he served them or bent to their will and the people saw that he was genuine, then they believed because how he bent to their will. What Jesus was teaching was that you want people to believe because they want to, not because 
they are made to. So a demagogue likes to focus on making people or coercing people into following them based on a false authority. It's going to make sense in a minute. I'm just giving you definitions. They react because people react to Jesus because they know he loved them by how far he went to bend for them. People will react to you based on how you act. Ah, This is about how we act. And so how far did Jesus go? Uh, I was supposed to teach, but I feel the preach coming already. How far did Jesus go to win people? He served the people he actually ruled over. We sang the song, he reigns. We know God is sovereign. He made and created the world. So he reigns and he rules over all. Yet he bent all the way down from heaven to become like us, to serve the people he actually ruled over. And he served them. How far did he go? He served them all the way until they wanted him dead. He served, in other words, he could have said, oh, y'all trying to kill me now. I'm I'm, I'm getting out of this. No, he served them even though they killed him. So his death was an act of service. Even though he could have taken complete control, he could have busted those people up, come off the cross and said, I'm God and everybody get in shape. But Jesus is not a demagogue. And I'm going to keep saying it until you understand it. He could have used the situation to manipulate old prophecies and said, well, the prophecies say I'm the Messiah and you're supposed to obey me. He didn't. Instead, he served until death. So part of the purpose of acting right, quote unquote, acting right, is to get the right reaction to how we acted. I'm going to say that again. Let me rewind it. The purpose of acting right is to get the right reaction to how we acted. We want people to react to how we act. And so being a demagogue in these tumultuous, divisive times is not a good way to act because you will not get the right reaction. Instead, you'll get rebellion. When we don't act right, people react incorrectly and thereby creating compounded problems. Watch what I'm saying. So instead of giving the people what they need, watch this, then a government or a ruling body will make a law or a rule that doesn't take the people into consideration. And so instead of the people reacting properly, the people rebel. They protest. They say, this is not what I want. This is not what I need. How can you rule over me and not give me what I need? And Jesus is not a demagogue. He does not create the Bible. He does not create laws and rules that are inconsiderate of the people's needs. I feel him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, what he does is he said, I'm going to come down to earth, live on earth like you, experience how you're living, and make laws or make policies based on what I know you need as a human. And that's why People who are not in touch, I used to serve on businesses or or go into board meetings and they bring in all the board people who are rich and wealthy and smart and degreed and they are board members over, let's say, the homeless shelter. They have no clue 
how the people in the homeless shelter live. They have no clue what the streets are like. And yet they are the one making decisions for the people in homeless shelters. And we used to get so mad and say, why are you making this judgment and you don't even, know. that's not what the people want. That's not what they need. But we're the board. We make the decisions. There is a disconnect between the people who rule and the people they are ruling over. So understanding Jesus not being a demagogue means that that gap is closed. That Jesus is a man for the people so that he knows how to rule over the people. Listen to this carefully. I'm going to pause. I want you to hear this clearly. I read a sign on TV this week that said, this is a quotable, write it down, Shana. I'll say it a couple of times. I read a sign on TV that said, there's no hate like Christian love. There's no hate like Christian love. Wow. And it really stung me because we say as Christians, oh, we love you. Oh, how we love that we are people of love. But yet we keep making judgment calls on people we don't know. We haven't lived in their shoes. We haven't tried to understand their background and their situation. And so what we call love turns out being hate to them because they don't see it as love. You, what you're doing, you're doing based on your belief system. And we have to remember that everybody doesn't believe the way we believe. And so this world is filled with unbelievers. So we can't go into the world saying that our love is only to operate in these circumstances because people will react to your love and call your love hate. And this Christianity that says it loves the world is looked upon or frowned upon by the world as not being very loving. That's all right. Don't say amen. Sit right there and just look confused, but I'm going to help you in just a moment. How can we say that we're here to serve, but bully people who don't do what we want the way we want them to? If Jesus served the people, if Jesus became the people so he could make rules and love the people the way people needed to be loved, then we must do that too. This is not in my notes, but remember when the woman came to Jesus and was washing his feet, wiping his feet with her tears. And the disciples said, get on out of here, get on out of here. And Jesus said, hold on. She was a harlot. And, and, and Jesus said, the scripture said to those who are forgiven much, those are the ones who loved much. It's the church people who be ready to throw you out. But Jesus ain't trying to throw you out. Jesus knows what you need. He knows you need to hear this song. You got a baby out of wedlock. You work the streets on the weekend. We know you still working. Some stuff you don't get out of just because you went to church one Sunday. I'm preaching. You it takes time. It what so what I can't come to church until I stop it completely. I wish we had Christians who sit right next to sinners who know that they did it last night, but they're making progress. God, I thank you. We know what you need and you need God, but you need a people of God to help you to love you while you're coming out of it. God, help me preach here. Jesus was not a demagogue. He was sensitive and compassionate enough to understand that before you rule over people, you first have to serve the people. Before you can make judgment calls, before you listen, don't you dare make a judgment call on no one in your life right now if you have not first put yourself in a position to serve them in their life. Take your mouth off of them, take your hands off of them because you have not gained the authority or the right to deem them as less than or uncontrollable or ungodly or they should go to jail or they should be kicked out the church and you haven't spent 
30 minutes serving them, asking them, what do you need? You never ask them, how can I get you what you need? How can I be a support base to you? And Jesus said, I will not make a judgment call on anybody until I first come down to earth and serve them. So for 33 and a half years, Jesus served mankind. Then he went up in glory and said, now let me rule this thing. Come on, somebody. Let's read today's text. It's Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. And I think it will shed some light on our scenario. Take a look at the text. This is the New Living Translation. It just reads better, but it has the same sentiment and context of what it's really saying. Verse 20, this is the context. Our key verse is verse 28. We'll get down to that, but I want to give you the context of it. Starting at verse 20. This is the disciples with Jesus and the mother of James is around. So watch this, verse 20. Then the mother of James and John, check this out. The sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. She's asking the favor of Jesus. He says, what is your request? He asked, she replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you on your right hand and the other on your left. Girl, you know, you lost your mind. Verse 22, but Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the, listen, bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? I'm just going to pause there because people who judge you, they don't be ready. They, they, they haven't drank the cup of suffering. They, they, they don't know what suffering, they don't know what bitterness is, but they're going to make it. Never mind. Let's move on. He, she, they, so she responded. They responded. Oh, yes. They replied. We are able so Jesus says, Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. Oh, it's coming. But I have no right to say, look at Jesus. He, he is God. He says, I have no right to say who will sit on my right or, or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they got indignant. They got mad. What is wrong with y'all asking for a seat on the left and the right? If, if anything, it should be me. No, they didn't say that. But anyway, 25. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. I'm going to read that again. You know that the rulers in this world lord it, lord their authority, their dominion over the people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Oh, doesn't that sound like America? Doesn't that sound like us? Verse 26. But among you, this is I'm talking to you, talking to you. But among you, it will be different. Why? Because whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And verse 28 says, our key verse, for even the son of man, Jesus Christ, came not to be served, he is not a demagogue, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. So let me set this in context for you. The mother of Zebedee's children came asking of Jesus this, grant my kids to sit on the right and one on the left, the nerve of her. You don't know what you're asking, nor are these seats mine to give, Jesus basically said. Said. The 10 other disciples got mad and said, what is wrong with y'all? Jesus told them princes of Gentiles, in other words, regular leaders, regular kings and rulers, lord over the people they rule. They take advantage of them. They exploit the people they are supposed to serve. Oh, sometimes I look at TV and I, and I think, I, I think, 
I thought people in positions of service were supposed to serve the people, but the people are screaming and saying, we need equality, we need equality, but they keep cutting laws and redesigning voting lines and, and trying to readjust things to be in, a favor, in the favor of one particular group of people. I thought the, the leader was supposed to be for all the people, but we can't get along because leaders are only fighting for the people in their group. What, what, what disturbs me greatly is how the most wealthiest people pay the least of taxes. A lot of people, there are loopholes. In other words, the laws were written to accommodate the wealthy to make sure they stayed wealthy while the hardworking middle class pays so much taxes because they don't have the extra properties, nonprofit organizations, so on and so forth, to write the things off or to put a, 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 a corporation over it to protect their assets and liabilities. So the hardworking people pay all this money because they're in the middle class. Well, you can't fight the IRS. I can't afford an attorney. Heck, we can't even afford health insurance with the new deductibles. You got to pay so much before you even get to, never mind, I'm, I'm getting off task. But the point I'm trying to get you to see is that leaders often take advantage of the people that they're over. And Jesus said, that ain't how it works in my kingdom. So Jesus said, even so the son of man didn't come in my kingdom, I'm serving. I didn't come to put my authority on. I didn't come to say, I'm a Christian and it need to be this way. I'm a Christian and you shouldn't be gay. I'm a Christian and you shouldn't drink. I'm a Christian and you shouldn't have an abortion. I'm a Christian and you shouldn't have, you, I don't have a heaven or hell to put you in. That Those choices are yours. And we must be careful as Christians how we go throughout the world demanding people to react to what we believe. They don't even believe it. But, but we act. That's just dumb to me. So Jesus says, the son of man didn't come to be ministered to. He said, I came to minister to the people and to make my life a ransom for them. So let's explore this a little further then we'll break down the text. So point number one is this. I'm trying to go fast. Christianity is not to assert a authority or dominance over others. Christianity is not to assert authority or dominance over others. Let me talk to you first about this one, slavery. Let's talk about slavery. Ah, because the reality is much of slavery was based on so-called Christian beliefs. This concept of slavery was adapted by Christianity in a large way to say it was because of God that I could actually own you and beat you and impregnate your women and take advantage of you. So this Christianity was using a biblical perspective to assert authority over a people in poverty. That's all right. I know it's going to be tough. You got to stay with me. Back on the screen. Number two, slavery, not only it talks about country, it has been said that the country was founded on Christian values. It is said that the country was founded on Christian values. So yet slavery was part of its very beginning. Oh, wait a minute. So if the country was founded upon Christian values, and there are some things in our constitution and in our laws that reflect the biblical principle, but those laws then start with a country that is okay with slavery. So it takes a group of people and takes the authority that we have as a country to manipulate and control a group of people. Jesus is not a demagogue. Number three, coming up on the screen, politics. So slavery has been used by Christianity. The country has used Christianity, but now even politics has used uh, Christianity. So many in the far right, not everybody, but many in the far right or certain political groups consider themselves to be Christian and their actions are for the sake of God. So a lot of the policies and a lot of the rules that are made, laws that are introduced by the far right, 
are to reflect a particular uh, uh, value of Christianity to a large degree. That's why a lot of evangelical pastors, a lot of white evangelical pastors and churches of Christian background struggle, struggle or support certain parties, far right parties, regardless of how it impacts minorities. I, that, I know I'm going to probably get emails, written phone calls, all kind of stuff, but I'm telling you what the real deal is. Do you know that the Republican Party was considered the actual party of Christian values? That it's it was the part that was supposed to be conservative. There are a lot of African Americans, a lot of minorities who are Democrats, but Democrats are supposed to be liberal, but the minorities, a lot of minorities are supposed to be spiritual. We are Christian. So this whole definition of right and left has gotten mangled and it blurred lines, it crosses over because it's gone to extremes. There are some Democrats that go far liberal, far too extreme, nobody want no part of that, and far to the right, nobody want no part of that. But I'm telling you, political groups use political laws, legislation to propose produce or push a Christian set of values. I'll explain as we go on. Number four, the other one is power. These factions or groups are well attempting, uh, they are all attempting to gain power so that they can enact their beliefs upon others. This is, um, it, it, listen, is, is this the way we are to serve you? By writing laws, in other words, soliciting a group of people who believe the way we do. Oh God, it is wrong for us as Christians. Let me switch. It is wrong for us as Christians to only target people who believe the way we believe. It is wrong for us to only befriend people who we think will act the way we act. That is not serving the people. And so people use people for power. And they say the power that they gain is to dominate or they use that to manipulate people and to control them. The next one is, after power, church and state. As we talk about church and state, there's supposed to be a separation of church and state. And not everyone, here's what I want you to see. There's gotta be a separation of church and state because the state ain't like the church and the church ain't like the state. And not everyone in the world or not everyone in the nation is a Christian. So why would we force Christian beliefs upon those who don't believe? So we get mad at a president who says he is a Christian and we get mad when the president does make laws that are for all Christians. Well, everybody in the world is not Christian. So we need laws that accommodate people who don't believe what we believe. Now, separation of church and state allows you the privacy to be able to believe how you want to believe. You make your own choices about how you would do things. But people in the world need leaders and legislation to help fit their lifestyle. Oh God, I'm in trouble. I, I, I might have to quit. Security, do I have that? The, the internet might blow me up right now. That just might blow up. But here's what I want you to understand. Separation of church and state is real. And we need to be able to make clear, not just from the perspective as we walk out the door every day that everybody's saved and everybody's going to do the way we think they should do. That ain't true. The world has their way of living and we have ours. The goal is not to act like a demagogue walking around on your job, forcing people to believe how you believe. You've got to respond. Listen, yes, these are ripe times, but how we respond to them is going to determine how we win them. So why would we demonize people who by their own choice don't accept Christ or don't follow our way? Yet instead, we manipulate, we use manipulation tactics to prey upon their desires and prejudices. That's wrong. It is wrong for 
us to be mad at people for not choosing Christ. People have the right, they have the free will to reject him. And we cannot be mad at them for rejecting them. Instead of being mad at them, we should serve them and love them till they might believe in him. That's all right. You're not going to get it. Let me move on. Church and state, we got to be able to make the difference there. But then impact. People use impact in a way to influence or have authority. Now, perhaps the church doesn't have the impact it should have on the world because it seeks to be served instead of serving. Here's what I want to say. Listen, we don't have, listen, when you, listen, when you act as a demagogue, you don't have the impact you should have on the world. But what you do have an impact on is are the people which you control. That's why cults are effective. Oh, I'm teaching. I'm just Gator Man. I'm, I'm, te- I'm just teaching. That's why cults are effective for the people that they control. An outsider who doesn't believe what the cult believes can come in and refuse what the leader is saying. Why? Because they don't believe it. They're not, they are more objective than subjective. And so what I'm trying to say to you, when the church acts like a demagogue, you almost become a cult because you only operate from the perspective of yourselves. And I'm telling you, the world on the outside looks at you a lot of times as crazy because you can't see life from life's perspective. You only see life from inside the church walls. And we are not impactful like we should because we are seeking to be served instead of serving. So you got preachers, you got leaders, church organizations and groups going around demanding to people to serve them. You need to bow down. I'm bishop so-and-so and I'm the cleric of this and I'm the ecclesiastical of this and call me by my title. And so instead of just being cherry in certain settings, you miss out on somebody making impact on somebody's life because you are choosing to be served instead of serving. Do you know why some bitter, cantankerous, angry people act the way they act? Because they choose to be feared rather than loved. Got to move on. Last one, impact, but then free will. Sometimes free will messes us up because even though, listen to this now, here we go. I, boy, I joy, I need, um, man, they're going to, the, the internet going to blow up. Look at, even though, listen, li- free will, even though protecting unborn babies is a biblical principle. I do not think God wants babies to be killed. I don't think anybody in their right mind wants, is, is for killing people. And so you can paint it how you want to paint it based on, well, when is the baby of people and all of that? I'm not getting into that, but I'm saying even though protecting unborn babies is a biblical principle, everyone in the world does not believe in the Bible. So you cannot get mad at people who don't believe in the Bible, who would just assume that getting rid of this baby would make my life better. I was raped or I was put in a situation that I can't deal with and abortion is offered by the country or this particular city and I'm going to take advantage of it. And you look at them with disdain. You look at them as if they're derelict. You look at them as if they're sinners who should be sent to hell right at that. Well, hold on a minute. If we pulled up the covers over your life, it may not be an abortion, but boo, you just lied 30 seconds ago. And the Bible says there is no category of sin. All have sin and sin is sin from top to bottom. And we've got to be careful just because it looks like a big sin that we put people in a classification that doesn't meet ours and we again appear to be superior superiorities over them, superior to them. And so they become inferior. So don't let free will... <laughs> 
make you think you have the right to be authoritative over somebody. People can choose what they want to choose. He gave us free will to choose our way. Now, there are consequences that come with making those choices, but we mustn't use our power from God to power over people. I'm going to say that again. We mustn't use our power from God to power over people. We must learn how to use our power for the needs of the people. So then that's what we're not supposed to do. Well, then what is we supposed to do? That's not good English, but you get me. What then is the way? To answer this, let's look at the key verse of today's text, Matthew 20, 28. Mark this one, highlight it, put it on your fridge. You will need it again in your life. Look at verse number 28. Jesus was not a demagogue. I keep saying that. I like it. Jesus was not a demagogue. What was he then? He was a servant. So when we look at all of these laws and these rules that are coming out and they're supposed to be conservative and, and far right and the Supreme Court now is made up of seven justice, six justices and three uh, uh, liberals and so it doesn't look like any kind of laws or, 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 or structures will come out without a taint toward that kind of end. Um, you know, and I know people will agree, disagree with me and all that, but that's just the reality of natural facts. Listen, the Bible says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. Let me say this to you. Christianity is to be used to serve. Christianity is not to be used to control. Christianity is to be used to serve. Christianity is not used to control, should not be used to control. Listen, it is not to be used to control people who don't believe what we believe until they believe like us. We are not to manipulate people into making a choice into what we believe. We are to serve people until they believe the way we believe. We aren't to manipulate others with demagoguery into believing. We are to serve them and service comes out of the base and premise of love. So that's why God comes in the form of love. God is love. Jesus is the love and he comes to the earth to serve. He serves out of love. Love wins. Love conquers sin, not control, not power, not raising your voice, not hitting somebody. So you domestic violence brute who thinks that you're controlling people by putting your hands on them. You don't rule by abuse. You rule by love. Come on, parents. You're not going to spank your kids into correction. You're going to love them into correction. I'm not against spanking, but I'm saying if you spank them, spank them out of love. Don't spank them out of hatred. Don't spank them out of anger from your own childhood issues. Get yourself healthy, boo, before you pull out a belt on somebody. I'm all over the place, but I think I'm helping somebody. Service actually comes with authority, but not to Lord. Now, I got to help you understand this. Service comes with an authority. Service comes with a, a rulership. And you think, well, because I'm going to serve, they're just going to walk all over me. No, 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 no. I'm telling you authority used by manipulation and demagoguery has no impact, but service has an authority and a rule and a power that far exceeds a demagogue trying to control the people. Oh, I got to tell myself, preach on my man. Many people see positions of service as positions of power. I got to say that again. Many people see positions of service as positions of power. And even though we may govern the people, we must always remember that the people govern us. Ah, God, come on, somebody, that the United States of America has set up a government that it selects senators and houses of representatives and presidents and vice presidents and, and boards to be able to govern a people. But we can never lose the consciousness that it is the people who govern the board, that we are the people who should make the laws. That's why it's so important for us to vote. You cannot abdicate your right to vote and then complain. If you didn't vote, then you can't 
complain. You don't have the right to. You have to speak up as a people because if you don't, there are leaders who will take advantage of your silence. Ah, there are people who will continue to use you as long as you let them. Hello, somebody. If we ever got the sophistication of mentality to come together as a collective group to be able to take a stand on something, then certain leaders would no longer be able to manipulate minorities. And I'm not just talking about black minorities. I'm talking about minorities of all colors. If the blacks united with the Latinos, who united with the Asians, who united with the immigrants, who united with the gays, who united with this or with that, and we put it all together and said, we as a minority group will no longer tolerate these abuses, these are the laws that we want, then you can begin to affect change because we as a people have power. And the servant must understand that the power you have is the power of the people. The people give you power. In other words, what am I saying? It's the service you give that gives you authority. The more you serve, the more power, God dog it, the more power you have. And the leader who isn't willing to bend to the will of the people isn't fit for service. So if you can't bend down to do what people need you to do and be what people need you to be, then quit the position of service. I like the woman who was caught in adultery and she was in the temple and everybody was standing around with rocks in their hand, getting ready to light her up. They was winding up their arms like they were pitchers on the LA Dodgers. And Jesus did this. Jesus stood by, but the Bible says Jesus stooped down. He stooped down and began to write in the ground and he said let he who is without sin be the first to cast the stone but the goal of this the point of this is that Jesus stooped down that Jesus didn't from a throne or from a desk of a CEO make an edict or a judgment he got down where the people are and said if you are without sin cast the stone didn't one rock go her way and Jesus stood up and said woman where are your accusers? She said, I don't know, Jesus. He said, well, then neither do I accuse you. Why? Because this is what she needed. I'm telling you, until you can start living with a compassion and an understanding of what people need instead of what your church says to do or what your pastor said do or what your mama said do, you will never be able to be a person of service. You have abdicated your right as a servant if you go and out and manipulating people to do the type of work you want them to do. So let's focus on Jesus' title, the Son of Man. I'm running out of time. I'm going real fast. Focus on Jesus' title. The text said, put the text back on the screen. It said, for even the Son of Man. That's his title. There it is. Look at it. The Son of Man. It is his title that points to our frailty. Look at who he is. He's called the Son of Man. In other words, he's not the parent. He's the Son. He's the man. He's not God. So God, Jesus being fully man and fully God, served as the Son of Man. He didn't serve as the God Most High. He served as the son of man. It is this point of frailty. He could identify with weakness and humanness. And you cannot look at people, the little 10 year old girl, I don't know the case, but who has, has denied abortion because now the laws have changed and she's 10 years old. This is this is crazy. How can you not be moved with compassion but say, well, she deserved it. Somebody knocked her up and the Bible say we shouldn't have. I don't, I don't know the details and I'm not God. I don't know how God will judge that. I don't know how God will judge the gangbanger. I don't know how God will judge the person who murdered somebody. I don't know. how That's beyond my pay grade. It's not my job to size people up. It's my job to serve people. If the murderer needs love, if the murderer needs a book, if the murderer needs a, a contact, a, a referral for a job, I'm going to give it to you. Even though I know you murdered somebody, that ain't my house to deal with. I just got to do what you need and that murderer may see love in 
in my heart and begin to believe. Ah, God, I thank you, Lord. So Jesus was the son of man who was able to identify with the frailty and the weakness of humankind. So this term is used 43 times in the New Testament to refer to Jesus. It means he was the son of man. He was rocking it. It denotes that his truest essence was humanity. It is to bring the focus to the fact that he is one of us. And if you're not a Christian who can't relate to what happens when the Supreme Court makes a ruling or when somebody you watch on TV, somebody's getting beat with a billy club or you're watching somebody with racial profiling or you're watching an Asian being discriminated against or you're watching a gay or a lesbian being mauled at or called all kind of bigoted names and you don't feel nothing? Are you telling me you can't be moved with compassion because you're not gay, because you're not a criminal, because you don't have that experience and you call yourself a Christian? Jesus didn't say I came only for the black. He didn't say I came for the white. He didn't say I came for the gay and the non-gay. He said I came for everybody. He said I have made myself like you and I've put myself in the position of every man so that I know how to what? React when you get in trouble. To lead and to serve, we must be able to demonstrate that we too are one of the ones we lead in service. You can't lead nobody that you aren't willing to be like. That's a quotable. You can't lead nobody who you aren't willing to be like. It describes his authority. It describes his earthly ministry. The son of man describes his authority. I told you service comes with authority that the more weak, the weaker that you appear to be, actually the more authority you actually have. It's the quiet ones that God anoints. It's the people. It's all. It's always true. I've been in ministry over 30 something years and it's usually always the high spirited ones who are anointed and highly favored. Oh, praise the Lord, who God told them just this morning something to give me a message. And those are the first ones to leave when trouble happens. They're the first ones to get on crack. They're the first ones to fall out and hate you. They're the first ones to jump ship and go to another church. The Lord is leading me somewhere else. You're the first one, but it's the quiet people. Don't say nothing. They come. I used to call them the once the monthers. The once the monthers who give more than the church folk. They come when they can. They struggle. They bring all their babies. Ain't got no husband, but bring all the babies. But they're getting a word from God. It's those who are quiet that God says, I got something for you. It's the people who've gone through a mess after mess after mess who God says, I'll give you authority. If you're faithful over few things, I'll make you ruler over many. And your servanthood is actually where your authority lies. The third aspect of Son of Man means it anticipates his death and his suffering. And it points to his future exaltation and glory. So even though we're servants, being the Son of Man means that I'm human and frail. It means that I accept death. It means that I accept suffering. I expect things to go wrong. I'm helping people. And I know that the same thing I'm helping somebody with could happen to me. It is the frailty of mind where you accept the reality that trouble happens, that life happens, but you've got a glory that's coming because God doesn't let people go through stuff without getting glory from it. Job had, Job lost his family, Job lost his cattle, Job lost his health, his wife was cussing at him. He lost all of that and his friends belittled him and said, you got to be sinning, bro. And Jesus or God told around, turn around and said to Job, because you didn't curse me, because you didn't lose your faith, I'm going to give you double everything you lost. There's a glory that comes when we lay our lives on the line for people. Hallelujah. There's a glory there. Hallelujah. There's a glory that comes when we make the sacrifices. Let people do what they're going to do. You don't got to fight every situation. You ain't got to correct everybody. You ain't got to stand up there well. I deserve to, to, to shut your mouth. Silence sometimes is more powerful than the loudest megaphone in the world. And I came to tell you what we must learn to do is use our authority to serve others, not lord over them. God gives us power to figure out ways to help others, not manipulate them. I have power 
to serve. And I'm not using my power to rule over. I'm using my power to serve. Well, what's the power of the Holy Spirit? The power gives you, the Holy Spirit gives you power to serve. Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath, yet he used the Sabbath to heal a man's withered hand. Do you get what I'm saying? Jesus was Lord over the Sabbath, but he used his power to heal somebody on the Sabbath. (laughs) And many faulted him for it, but he reminded them. He reminded them. He said, the Sabbath exists for me. He doesn't exist for the Sabbath. And I'm trying to get you to see that sometimes you make the law, you make the rule, you make the Bible, you make the Christianity, you make the church more than what it is when it exists for you. You don't exist for it. You have to learn how to use the tools as your power, not use them as restraint shackles to keep you from being who God called you to be. Well, I'm not supposed to go to the movies. Church say don't go. Church say don't play dominoes. Church say don't play cards. You better learn bid whiz. You better learn spades. You better learn how to play Tonk and Jim Rummy because at the table of the card party will come the conversations of life and someone will see the God in you because you get up from the table to serve somebody. You sense their pain and after the game is over you stand outside while they're smoking a cigarette and you talk about what they're going through and you tell them about the power of God on your life and they begin to inquire about God and they go home and try prayer for the first time because somebody at a card party played Jim Rummy a spades partner talked to me on the street while I was smoking a blunt I decided to try to pray because Jesus This is not a demagogue. He's a servant. Even with all his authority, the son of man came to serve. Put the text on the screen. He said, I've got authority as the son of man, but I came to serve. And I came to give my life as a ransom. He said, I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to minister to others. And the text for minister means... It really means to wait on tables. Jesus said, I came to wait on tables. I came to say, would you like a drink? Uh, May I take your order, please? He comes to provide for what you need. He comes to take, like the stewardess on the plane. How may I help you? Ring the bell. You put the light on. Hi, how may I help you? That's what a Christian ought to do when you go in the room. How can I help you? Instead of telling people, this is what you ought to do. This is how you ought to live. And you in sin and you in trouble. And I I never forget, a preacher friend of mine told me he wasn't going to help me because he felt like I deserved the position I was in. He said, I can't help you you because you made the choice. I said, blessed be God. Well, if the Lord responded to all of us, we'd all be in hell. We'd all be dead. But Jesus said, I didn't come for people to stand around and say to me, uh, what do you want? What do you want? Jesus said, I came to ask you what you want. We've got to find people in the world who are hurting, who are struggling with these abortions, who are struggling with police brutality, who are struggling with racial inequality, who are struggling with racial or employment or or, or career or or financial uh, remuneration divide in in the pay rail. We've got to find ways to be what people need in the Me Too movement where women are being abused. And if you look at history, men have been awful creatures to women over the histories of the years. And there's some awful women too. But by far and large, it has been men who have taken advantage, who have assumed that because you're pretty and you work for me, I have the right to put my hand on you. We have to learn from our lessons and be Christian enough to walk up to people and say, I sense your pain. Tell the truth. Somebody touched you too. You just didn't tell nobody. Ah, dying. I ain't gonna say it. But some pastors have touched people insufficiently in an incorrect way and they have shut their mouths and you should be the very one out there in the world in the Me Too movement talking about girl, look at God. He helped me heal. He can do it for you or just help them get through 
it. Don't be so stankadank thinking that you are all powerful and above reproach that God didn't bring you through stuff you had an abortion too. If the number of Christian folk who had abortion stood up in church today, <laughs> I ain't even gonna go there. Jesus said, I didn't come to be waited on. I came to wait on others. So he is serving us. He is interceding on our behalf right now, even in heaven. He's talking to the father when we get ready to do stupid stuff. When we pray in Jesus name, he said, daddy, uh, they're praying again and it's on my, it's on me. Uh, I died for them. So if you could heal them, deliver them, do whatever. Jesus did say, he said he came to serve the public. He came to be among the people as one of the people and to use his power to influence them. So when Jesus brought people to God by healing them, that was service. When he fed the 5,000, that was service. When he preached to them out of the boat, that was service. When they ran out of wine at the wedding and Mary said, son, would you get us some wine? He turned the water to, that was service. In other words, he used his power as acts of service. So when you act in 2022, when you go out and make your actions when you live your life, use your actions with power to serve. Be somebody who makes a difference in the lives of those you come in contact with. Use your gifts to serve others. This is the power of real leadership. When you serve like this, you win people's hearts. So I conclude with this. This is the end of verse 28. He says, I came to give my life a ransom for Mindy. <laughs> Conclusion. <laughs> Jesus said he gave his life a ransom for many. Jesus, what is a ransom? What is a ransom? What is a ransom, Sharon? A ransom is a payment. It is the valued object transferred to take the place of us to set us free. Jesus said, I'll be the money back. He said, I'll be the check. I'll be the cashier's check. I'll be the money order. I'll be the bar of gold. I'll be the diamond from the ground that will transfer in value for the value of the person you hold in captivity. He said, I will be the ransom for many. Leadership is knowing the cost of setting others free. It is the surrendering of the self. To be a ransom is to pay the debt of another. It is to turn yourself in so someone else can go free. And you cannot go in in the world talking about Monday, 4th of July or Tuesday, you go to work and you don't see yourself as a payment for somebody's freedom. Girl, I come to work every day on time for your freedom. I'm here because somebody will be delivered because of the presence I bring. The Bible said that Potiphar's house was blessed as long as Joseph was in it. And when you show up and when you are where you're supposed to be, people's lives are around you and you sometimes you get mad but oh it's so unfair it's so unfair it's a ransom you're paying you're right a ransom ain't fair a ransom you're giving people money who extrapolated from you they took advantage of you it ain't fair but that's what Jesus said I'm not a demagogue I'm a ransom in the movie Man on Fire Denzel Washington gave himself up for Peter he was supposed to be her bodyguard Woo! I'm your bodyguard but they got Peter human traffic human child kidnapping and the trade-off was off in the field somewhere Denzel walked up and said for Peter you can get me Woo! and they wanted to get him why because Denzel was a threat Jesus is a threat to your enemy and I'm telling you the enemy wants Jesus to step in for you because they think they got him and that's what the devil thought when they buried him and Jesus said I'll lay here and play dead for three days like I did so I could set people free. Once we got free, Jesus got up from the grave and said, you can't hold me down. You can't stop me. And Jesus time after time steps in on our behalf so we can be free. He lays dead for three days, opened his eyes like grandma, faking, opened his eyes at grandma. And then he gets up and says, let me go save somebody else. No devil in hell can stop God's people. And we must be that 
that sacrifice. We must be that ransom that takes the hit for somebody else. Oh yeah, I took the demotion, but here come God giving you another promotion. He keeps elevating you. He keeps doing what he's going to do. Service is a way to pay ransom for others. Every day that I serve faithfully, every day that I discharge my duties out of love rather than obligation, I pay a ransom of some sort for someone else's freedom. The preaching and the sweating I'm doing today is for someone's freedom. And God doesn't say that the only way to serve is in the pulpit. God doesn't say the only way to serve is to sing in the choir. God doesn't say the only way to serve is to be a deaconess or a missionary board person. But many of the churches have used these tactics of demagoguery to manipulate people with guilt and judgment. Where you been? You're supposed to be in the choir. You, God ain't going to bless you. You don't come to church. You haven't given an offering. Foolishness. And stop it. Stop it now. If a soul comes to church 52 weeks out of the year and never gives a dime, it is not your place to make them feel guilty about it. Let God work with their soul. It is not your place. You are there to serve. You can't make saints give money and you can't make saints serve in the church. Yes, we need people to serve and yes, we need money, but it is not our job to be demagogues over you to get it. You can serve the world in any capacity that doesn't violate the word of God. Use your car wash as a business. Use your hair place as a business. Remember, the power is not in controlling people. The power is in you serving people. Serve the people by getting out there, washing. You got a car wash. Go wash cars with the staff. Show the staff. I can wash a car too. When I was a manager and I was leading a team, I'd get out there and I'd do it too. I would take calls and I would be on the line. I would take a support call and say, let me, let me help you. This is Cherry. I'm opening the tickets. I'm doing, I want the team to see I'm down here with you. Show people that they matter. Give away a free car wash every now and then. Give away a, a, a perm. Give away a, 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 a weave, a track, or whatever, and say, I'm not going to charge you $50 for this. I'm going to give you a discount, $10. Why? Just as an act of kindness. This is the way I serve people. Because the power, the authority is in how you serve. Use whatever you have, not for power. You already have that. Use the power to serve others. So I leave you with this. I know I'm over time. I apologize, sort of. But as we enter into this holiday weekend, commemorating and celebrating the birth of a country, let us remember that Jesus was not a demagogue. And nor should our country be, nor should our politicians that we elect, nor should our pastors be, nor should our churches be, nor should our parents be. And I will say it is hard to celebrate and serve a country or people that don't want to celebrate the likes of me. It's hard for me to pop fireworks and be like, woo woo, when people don't care about my own freedom. But if I want to win people to God, I can't use my anger to control people. I must use my power to serve to affect real change. I don't have to agree with or embrace the world's tactics and, and discriminating ploys to manipulate and extrapolate from people their truest essence and abuse them. But I can choose to side with the words of our Savior and say, I'm not here to gain power and be ministered to, but I'm here because I have power to minister to others. So go ye into all the world, take your towel. <laughs> Take your straw, <laughs> put on your little napkin, get your little pad together, walk around the world and say, may I take your order, please? How can I help you? There are many hungry people and many thirsty people who are waiting for you to serve, just waiting for you to take their order. Jesus is not a demagogue. I'm PC and that's all I've got.